Hello, welcome to True Hoop with me, Gerard Hector and Coach David Thorpe. How are you, sir? I am well, my friend. How are you? I'm good. Um, lots happening. Um, the FIBA World Cup kicks off tomorrow. We'll talk about Team USA uh, in a bit. Um, the U.S. Open tennis starts next week, which we'll talk about that later as well. Uh, but we're going to kick off the show talking about a topic that we had Henry brought up on our Monday morning uh, troop editorial calls, and it's this correlation between elite athletes and the ability to shoot um, at an elite level. And David has a piece that's out today on TrueHoop.com. Everyone should be subscribers by now. If you're not, subscribe so you can read it. Elite athletes seldom shoot well. And the the, the thing that gravitated towards me um, when you sort of, you know, because the inevitable question is, well, why don't elite athletes shoot well? And the line you wrote, which is, well, it's evident and obvious all at once, right? Which is, well, if I've been the best person ever at getting to the basket, well, who cares about shooting the ball elite? Nobody can stay in front of me. Um, and I was like, yeah, that's a good point. So, right, if I, if I can blow by literally anybody in the world shooting, what does it matter? Um, and I thought it was interesting to look at that as it relates to Anthony Edwards, um, who we talked about on Monday. Steve Edwards, Steve Edwards, Steve Kerr called him the guy for Team USA. And, you know, we talked about how, well, Anthony's like, I already know I'm the guy, right? So now Steve's telling him he's the guy, that's going to make him even more more of what he already is. And that is the interesting part to me because for you, David, in the piece, you talk about the mindset. Um, and most people know this. When we are in positions of panic or uncertainty or anything that increases, creates negative feelings in our minds and in our spirits and, our, and, our, and in our, 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 our bodies, we revert back to what is comfortable for us. That's just, right? It's a way of self-preservation and protecting yourself. Well, <laughs> if you're missing 10 shots in a row, Screw that. I don't need to do that. I'm going back to driving to the rim. That's what I'm good at. And that duality, that mindset and getting out of that and switching and switching the way a player thinks, I thought was really interesting. And I'd love for you to talk about that a little bit more. Sure. Um, there's a lot of layers to this onion. And I only probably went through a, you know one or two for this, you know, 3000 word piece. Um, and I won't dominate the whole hour here, but I could. I mean, it's a it's an hours long discussion that I've been thinking about, you know, for the better part of 30 years. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And 30 years as a professional coach. Um, So I think you, you kind of nailed it, which is, I'm glad that you got the brunt of it, which is uh, guys that just destroy you off the dribble or let's say a post player as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Why would they do anything else? They're trying to win games. You know, the evolution of, of our sport, the Darwinian aspect of our sports is, you go play with friends, and if more, if you're playing three on three and seven show up, or if you're playing five on five and eleven show up, well, someone has to sit. The winners don't ever sit; losers sit. If anyone that's ever played pickup basketball, you get downs, right? And the games are super competitive because of it. And who wants to sit around and wait after you've already been waiting maybe for 20, 30 minutes, which I've done before when I'm third in line. There's two other teams ahead of me at a park somewhere, you know, growing up, especially in college. So um, you, you're not working on your weaknesses because you're going to be sitting around doing nothing. You're going to try to get shots up when the other teams shoot on the other end, which always drove me crazy. And so I think that's a big part of it. Henry argues, and I think successfully so, that great shooting requires different aspects of, of our bodies than great athleticism does. The reality is that there's a lot of combinations that, you know going on with it. And so, but the end result is we have 
you know, I, I think the holy trinity of athletes at point guard, for example, is John Wall and before him, West West Westbrook and Derrick Rose in the same draft. None of them could shoot. And and only a little bit throughout the whole careers did they I mean, in Rose and Wall's case, did they get to be decent at it? Westbrook never really did. Maybe he will going forward. We'll see. He's still playing. Uh, because nobody ever had nobody forced him to shoot when they were younger. Uh, um, conversely, you have great shooters who tend not to be great drivers because to them, everything looks like an open shot, just like to Rose and Westbrook and Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant and Clyde Drexler and Dwayne Wade. I mentioned all these guys. It doesn't matter what you're doing. You can't stop me from getting where I want to go. And I didn't mention this. All those guys were elite ball handlers. And I should have probably added the reason why I think the, the best shooting athlete we've ever seen in the NBA, I would give Ray Allen the edge over Kevin Durant because he's so different. Nothing's contested for right. him, although he is an, a marvelous athlete. Ray Allen didn't have that kind of handle to his game. He really couldn't be a primary ball handler. And so his, his weapon of choice was his shot and always was a great shooter, still an amazing athlete. Uh, uh, Wiggins was on that path, I thought, and then his kind of shot dropped off because he was never really the ball handler. Um, and so we have this situation where Anthony Edwards and I went back, I was negative on him coming into the draft, My he didn't do well at Georgia in terms of overall numbers and wins. I didn't think he played very hard all the time. He was probably bored. Uh, but I, I was surprised to read that I, I compared him to Russell Westbrook and Steph Curry. Like, I, I don't remember this, Gerard, but I clearly saw a shooting talent back then. And I uh, thought he had a lot of downside if he didn't put it all together. Clearly, he's moving in the right direction and has been really since year one. If Jalen Green can make a jump in year four the way, the way uh, Anthony did years one, one, two, one to two to three, very, very good for the Rockets and Jalen Green. You know, who's, he was a similar kind of athlete and shooter potentially. But Anthony Edwards has everything. And so now it's a question of does he really believe in a shot when it's, fall, when it's not falling in really important games, whether it's Team USA or NBA, because he can always attack and get his mid-range off or his second box jumper off or get to the rim with that athleticism. And memory. he's got a really powerful body. He's like a football player. So um, it's interesting. He could I, – I, I mentioned this. Uh, it's ironic that we call the position shooting guard, yet the most transformational players in that position weren't great shooters. Not that Jordan wasn't a good mid-range guy, Kobe, right. but they weren't great right. shooters. Uh, Anthony Edwards has a chance to really redefine the position. Yeah, it's it's so fascinating because you're talking about, you know, elite ball handling. They're already elite athletes. Like, I mean, all the things you're saying, David, it's hard to be elite at all those things, right? I mean, yeah. there's only 24 hours in a day. Like, how much am I going to work on this? So I'm elite at literally everything. Like, it's just something's going to give. But it's, it's amazing to see how players become all-time greats, but – may not be elite at everything, but the thing that they are elite at, they are the best in the world at, yeah. right? So yeah. you can't stop me, right? Like, so Jokic never going to be an elite athlete just because he, in terms of, let me, let me, let me Jumping, rephrase that. running, racing. Correct. Yeah. Those yeah. metrics never don't matter because his brain processing and it's, his feeling and, and his vision, elite. So, and he's seven feet tall. And his touch and his shooting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. His touch is really incredible. Um, yeah, to be to be elite requires a ton of work. I mean, even uh, in Shaq's case, uh, it, he wasn't born that way. He may have been born genetically tall, 
uh, he had to work at everything else. There's a whole bunch of tall guys who sucked in the NBA. Stromile <laughs> Swift, his former teammate, never quite made it right at LSU. Um, Shaq had a disposition that really matters, and I think that's a big factor here. The disposition of those elite drivers is such that uh, if you clog the lane, well, we're going to find a way around it still. Iverson's famous for that, Kobe. Um, uh, whereas Anthony Edwards is, all right, you want to slough off me to keep me from going to the rim? I'll shoot this bitch every time from three and be good. <laughs> and he's right. He's right. He's not broken yeah. 40% yet. He's only 21 still. Give him yeah. a chance yeah. here. He's got a chance to be a really special shooter. What I love in the piece is, and this is something that those familiar with True Hoop and who've listened to David over the years, uh, going all the way back to ESPN, but who's read his book, Basketball is Jazz, you talk about the artist and the scientist. And the scientist is maniacal in how he breaks things down, right? Very sort of like, it's the scientific method, right? What is my process? What is the, everything down is to building blocks, like you would imagine a scientist would. Whereas the artist looks at a blank canvas, sees some paint, and it's like, hmm. What are we going to do today, right? And like, and the the mindset of, hmm, I missed 15 shots in a row. Who cares? I'm probably going to make the next 30, right? A, a different, or to use the kid keep with the art metaphor, I started out thinking I was going to make this awesome picture of the Serengeti. Well, it's not really looking like that. Oh, well, fuck it. We're going, we're going somewhere else with it and not panicking over the fact that it's not what I originally intended it to be. That's a hard, the mindset, that's a difficult thing to do and you talk about it. There are players in the NBA who are both scientists and artists, right? So both sides of that brain are, for lack of a better term, at war with one another. Yeah, I think this is going to the uh, onion of, and the layers I'm talking about. Uh, the reality is, as someone who has studied artists, and, and I, but, but I, by that I mean uh, also songwriters. Those are artists and, and are called as such. They, they suffer uh, for their soup just like... Um, just like scientists do that, you know, the, the artist, like, uh, you know, my nephew or my sister, I was never one. Uh, they're, they're not professional artists. So they're much more relaxed about it. The, uh, the, the true artists that are making a living, I, I have to imagine Adele and Beyonce and Bruce Springsteen and Taylor Swift. Like mm-hmm. I think on occasion they've written an amazing song in five minutes. I don't mm-hmm. think that's common. Right. I think they're constantly editing it just like a writer editing, editing, and that's really what we're talking about here is that the difference is there's a faith in these guys that grew up shooting well that they're going to figure it out, that everything's going to be okay. That is not the case with players who didn't grow up shooting. They, you know, they're used to finishing. They're, at, they're dunking over guys and finishing around the rim all the time, but they might have missed eight threes in a row, and, and there's a hurricane going on in their brains. And so we have to work with I, – I have to work with them when they're in my gym on how to deal with that. It's really important that we understand, you know, Jordan said uh, famously, I've missed, you know, more shots than I've made in my career and that made all the difference. Um, he also had to develop a discipline to handle those misses. Uh, we, we know this. I, had to, I just listened to a discussion in the New York Times about the debate from last night. And it would seem like DeSantis was afraid to say the wrong thing and be made fun of in social media forever. Well, welcome to the life of a professional athlete. (laughs) They always are faced with that potentiality of fucking up embarrassingly so and being the butt of a joke. Uh, In today's world, Jordan wouldn't care. Kobe wouldn't care. Uh, All these great ones, they know it's baked into the program, uh, but, but it's not an easy thing to get to. And, uh, 
And so, and, and so now Anthony Edwards is just, he's only played in a few important games in his life. Right. He's right. just now entering this world of, all right, like if he fucks up and, and they win gold and now he's getting some Vegas odds for MVP, that mm-hmm. there's a price to that. There's a weight to that. So we'll see he, again. He, he's, he's, he's the age of most rising seniors in college. Correct. That's a young, as somebody who's got two, that's a right. young person. And boys tend to mature later than girls. I, mm-hmm. From my house, that's definitely the case. Um, he's a very young man who is going to slowly wake up, or not so slowly wake up, into this world of, well, what the fuck have you done? How how you have how have you not made it past a playoff series? And then it's going to be two playoff series. You know the weight of those expectations. Kevin mm-hmm. Garnett had wear those things, but he had a different game. Mm-hmm. Anthony Edwards can always be a slashing attacker and not have to shoot three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Three is a game. All those numbers, three and four is more likely, but five and six and seven, maybe what he should do once he gets rolling because he really could be a 40% three-point shooter. Why wouldn't you shoot more? And, and he's not built like Curry. He's big and strong and athletic. He can get fouled more. So mm-hmm. that balance, maintaining that confidence, and that's the NBA season right there. How do you maintain that level of confidence in, in, in the face of real failure over the course of a game or games or even weeks of games? I, I love that. And you know, listen. As you said in the piece, if Anthony Edwards becomes a 40% three-point shooter with that body, that is the best player in the world in MVP. <laughs> like, yeah. you're, you're not saying in front of him, and if, he can shoot if, the lights out. If, 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 and you know this well, Gerard, I know you understand this, um, if he maintains that mindset, game in, game out, that mm-hmm. hunger Correct. to dominate, the disposition yes. to dominate, the, you know, I, I, uh, I saw a quote this morning about um, uh, his, Kobe's wife uh, asked, yeah, asked something along the lines of, you know, why are you playing when you're injured? And his answer was the common answer you get from famous athletes. You know, plenty of people come to see me play, whether I'm at my best or not. But that doesn't explain why he played so hard for so many years when he's injured. Uh, that's to Kobe's credit. That's that Mamba mentality. We all want our players to have to some degree. And I, don't, I didn't think Anthony Edwards necessarily would get it. I didn't. I, I, I see it more now. I saw it even his rookie year. I liked him. I liked him a lot more second year. Let's see if he, that's to maintain that. And then remember this, Gerard. This is this is the whole game. Uh, I remember doing a TV interview long ago before Tiger had won maybe but a couple major events. I've talked with, with you before probably. And I was asked on this like sports conversation mm-hmm. uh, a TV show was on, like, is he going to be the best of all time, better than Nicholas? And I said, well, let's see what happens when he gets married. Let's see what happens when he has kids. Because these are variables that greatly impact mm-hmm. life for any human being that's somewhat conscientious of the position of being a, a husband and father. And uh, I don't think that was rocket science to say, well, Anthony Edwards is, is not, he's not doing any of those things yet. Right. So let's see what he deals with all-star births and finals mm-hmm. and playoff failures or successes. Mm-hmm. Both can fuck up your brain. Fucked up management situations. He's in Minnesota. <laughs> Fucked up coaching situations. Lack of teammate success. Cat gets traded. Like all these things are going on. Can he continue to, to Dame Lillard, despite all of the histrionics in Portland over the years and mostly failures and everything in the finals? What he's been produced is really quite astounding, right? And so we'll see if Anthony can do the same thing. I, I think he can, but it, it remains to be seen. Time will tell. I I, I love it because you're talking about failures. And 
imperfections and all that it's baked into the process right and you that's the thing if you don't love the process well you're not gonna then you're never gonna get to that point right because you're gonna fail more times succeed right everyone knows that's that's true in every sport right baseball if you fail seven out of ten times at bat you are a hall of fame baseball player only seven times that's right if you only (laughs) fail seven times you're 300 hit you're probably making the hall of fame right if you can feel that all yeah and think about that, only seven times, which you're yeah, going to fail more than seven times. Most people fail more than seven times. And, and, and eight, and you're probably out of the league pretty quickly. Like <laughs> right. within a couple of years. It's, That's it's how incredible. little difference. Yeah. You, you have to be comfortable. But as humans, I don't, we're not, no, most of us aren't comfortable with that, right? It's being failure or not looking good, which is why most of us aren't professional athletes, among many other reasons, right? But it, right. these are the reasons it, why. <laughs> right. Three, you make three threes out of ten, you're, you're gone. You're somewhere else. You make four out of 10, you're an elite shooter in the NBA. It it really comes down to that. So the amount of hours it takes and the amount of work that you have to put in to be able to make four four and 10 or three and a half and 10 even compared to three is enormous. Yeah. I I have to say I'm a little disappointed, though. I'm a little disappointed. What? A little disappointed. Uh, I thought you would congratulate me on my millionth rebound. <laughs> so I, I have the- often played on the world's leading rebounder. I, I probably am not, but it's not. I'm not far away. I'm not guys, far away from being the world's leading rebounder. You, you guys read the article, and David opens with a very funny story, a little sort of like anecdote about you know how many times he's rebounded in his life. And you, you have to remember, David. Of course. So going back to when you're a kid and you're playing all that, but David has been a professional coach for 30 years now, give or take. Yeah, when he's in the, 33. When he's in the, when he's in the gym with players, although I imagine you do less of it now, right? Because you have other guys I'll be out with that. But how many times did he had to rebound <laughs> when missed shots, yeah. right? And all your years at ABCD camp and like all, all-star camp, five-star, I mean, all that stuff. I, I didn't, listen, I had more in the article that got chopped out, <laughs> understandably so. But I, I, I coached my own teams many right. for many years right. and rebounded plenty of times. I played 8 million games. Right. Forget right. about, forget about, the, the uh, one-on-zero games I played where I was Norm Nixon, always Norm right. Nixon. Right. And I used to crush Maurice Cheeks and <laughs> and um, Andrew Tony. Fuck that guy. Hated him. And you had to you know, rebound all your misses. <laughs> right. No, it was just me. I was pretending to be two guys, but it was always just me, right? And then I would I started helping my little brother some. And then we played a million games, a one-on-one, two-on-two, three-on-three, like a lot of guys who played pickup. But I did have a good-sized court. We didn't have a big yard. We had a, we had a decent-sized yard. But our neighbors and I built mm-hmm. ours, built this big driveway shot uh, uh, court. Um, but what I didn't even mention is, you know how many rebounds I had? Forget about all my pros. For my son. <laughs> and for Max. Like, yeah. It was just, Max alone. yeah, I mean, I was rebounding for my, you know, and, and every other client I ever had. Right. But I spent more hours with him than anyone over the years. He started playing seriously when he was 10. He left the house when he was 19. That's nine years, Gerard. Nine. It's a lot of, it's a lot of rebounds. Nine years. Yeah, and and he had a cousin his age and friends his age. And what do you think they came to work on their game? Hello, I didn't charge them anything. So yeah, I, I gathered. Now they weren't um, impressive looking highlight reel rebounds. <laughs> you, are battling, older, you are battling giants with yeah, those rebounds. <laughs> I, I remember one time being in the gym. Oh, maybe five six years ago. So I'm just in my early fifties at this point. And we've got a couple of young guys, you know, college age or maybe a little afterwards, helping me. And I forget if I had a few players on a few different courts and I was left alone with one player. I'm sure that's what it was. All I remember is 
walking to get the rebound. The player <laughs> wasn't a very good shooter. Listen, I could rebound for Kevin Martin all fucking day. Because he's not missing much. <laughs> not well, even when he did, it was right there. Like he didn't miss by a lot. And that's one way I actually learned to evaluate. Shoot, I have a kid down here now, and the first day he was here before we made a little tweak on his shot, uh, my my assistant was running all over the place. And uh, but you know, literally one day later after we met as a staff, discussed his shot. Here's the one recommendation we're going to make. Boom. It doesn't always work this way, but it did for this one player last week. And even an NBA team who came to watch him twice in three days noticed a difference from during the season. Uh, you don't have to leave. You never left the paint. So that's how it was with Kevin. But these were – these were. so anyway, I was rebound for this not very good pro shooter. And I just looked at him and said, I'm sorry, but I know you're used to cats racing. Uh, I, I am not going to do that. I'm going to walk to the ball. Mostly I've done some light jogs when it's a really bad shot. Um, yeah. And I also learned to kick the ball pretty well because during COVID early on, right, we thought maybe the touch, ball yeah. had it. I kicked everything. Yeah, I still, I still <laughs> have to have it doing that some now. Yeah. These, are the, these are the nuances of the, of the trade no one knows about. See, see, that's the thing, right? Everybody thinks, oh, man, Davis' life is so cool. He's with all these NBA pros and all doing. Yeah, it's cool, but it's also rebound, missed shot. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's not uh, I get Alexis. I get some. I don't keep track of steps, but if I did, it would be good. Yeah, but I have a lot of caroms next to my name. That's for sure. I've had a lot no of doubt. rebounds. Yeah. Um, we mentioned the FIBA World Cup against uh, Friday. Uh, Team USA yeah. is in Group C uh, with Jordan, Greece, and New Zealand. Uh, shout out to Queen Rania. I'm Jordan. Um, so it's a group they should most likely advance out of pretty pretty easily. Um, but you know, we shall see. One of the players that you and I like a lot just from not only, I mean, we liked him when he got drafted in San, in Sacramento. We loved him uh, in Indiana. He had a great year last year and he's uh, performing well for Team USA is Tyrese Halliburton. And you wanted to talk about young Mr. Halliburton. Yeah, I did not love him when he got drafted. I, I wrote about him a troop very briefly. I, I didn't understand what the, the big deal, the deal was. was. I really mm-hmm. didn't. I, I, he could pass. And that's a, a valuable thing. I was wrong. He's tremendous. And so I wanted to talk about him today because I felt like he was an all-NBA level player last season. I did not put him ultimately on my fictitious team, but he was in the running. I think it's because of the injury. He, he just, yeah, that's why he got injured. Uh, that's a big part of it. Yeah. Right. And his team was bad when he was out too. But um, I do think there's a, a another leap for him to make. And um, what I really like about what I'm seeing for Team USA is – I thought coming off of the heels of a $200 million deal, this is a guy that wasn't a five-star recruit coming out of high school. He was never anointed anything. And then he was unceremoniously traded after a very good season in Sacramento where they don't have a whole lot of rookies who look like they're promising. He gets traded for Sabonis. It worked out great for Darren Fox and the Kings and for the Pacers and Tyrese, which is great. Uh, I thought that he'd be more of a a gunner Mm -hmm. on this team. That's just not – now he made three threes in the fourth quarter – and scored 17 of his 18 points in that comeback win against Germany the other day. But he's not been a gunner. He's really been a great quarterback and, and piling up the assists. Uh, I think you'll see him being in the game late, it's my guess. We got to see him uh, improve his defense on the ball, as sure. we do Anthony Edwards as well. Yeah. And um, But, yeah, it's exciting to think going forward who, you know, Trey Young, the luster's off a little bit. A you lot know, of Luca could be – Luca can be considered a kind of a two-three. Who's going to be that the point guard first team on NBA? I think Tyrese can make a play for it. Steph Curry uh, obviously could be there as well, right? But Tyrese can make a play for it. Uh, David, look, and this is not you know Sacramento Kings fans relax. 
Halliburton, by the metrics, was a more impactful player last year than De'Aaron Fox was. It's just, it's just there. Like, he was a plus 5.6 yeah. in EPM. He was just better than De'Aaron Fox last year. Like, I don't know what the also has another. He also has another level to get to. In fact, it would be it's interesting, not ironic, but interesting if uh, if they both make all NBA teams, and that's absolutely possible. Well, that I I go back goes to the question I was just going to ask. We didn't talk about it in the in the rundown, but I'm going to ask it for you here. And this was before Mike Brown came on board that he was traded. So is what it is. Could a coach figure figured out how to make those two work together? It's criminal to me to to break up a potential backcourt with two. All NBA dudes. It's interesting you say that. Uh, Caitlin Cooper, who's a very bright mm-hmm. woman covering the Pacers, mm-hmm. uh, has been asking similar questions about Halliburton and Nemhard. Mm-hmm. Andrew Nemhard, who I know well, mm-hmm. is a point guard, yep. but not on the Pacers. He's not right. and will never be the primary point, point guard. Tyrese is there for a long time. Uh, and so to me, this is exactly what the Pacers are faced with now is do we have to trade Andrew to make room for Ben Matherin, who just isn't as good as Andrew and I maybe one day, right. but it isn't now, um, and learn to play with two guards like the Cavs have, like uh, mm-hmm. the Celtics have done in mm-hmm. the past and with Marcus Smart and whatever. And um, we'll, we'll, you know, there's a few teams that have done it. We'll see. Yeah. Atlanta mm-hmm. tried it. didn't work out so well. Um, this is the challenge. I absolutely think, yes, Tyrese and De'Aaron could have. De'Aaron really could be a great defender. He hasn't been. He's he's a more he's a much more athletic player sure. than, than uh, Halliburton. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, more powerful too. Uh, I think he's a terrific talent. I mean, they both are. I would have loved to see him play together. It worked out good for Sacramento. They were oh, a two, yeah. I think they were two seed last yes, year. Yes, they right? were. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Well, it, it goes yeah. back to what you talked about in the article, I think, which is the mindset, right? How did both yeah. players grow up? If you've grown up as you're the person who's the primary ball handler your whole life, well. It's going to be reticent for you to give that up all of a sudden when you go somewhere, right? No, this is what I'm used to doing is controlling the tempo and doing whatever. So, you know, can I, can I learn other skills? Maybe. Right. That's right. Yep. Well, uh, this is, this is what advanced level coaching should be about is uh, how do I adjust my philosophy and strategy to the the roster that we have? Mm -hmm. And, um, and especially when you've got value. So, Mm -hmm. Superstars are always value players, always. They're, you can never pay them what they're worth. So Halliburton may, may is making whatever it is, he's worth more. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you better find a way to accommodate them in your system. Yeah, no, it, it makes total sense. We shall see, but uh, looking forward to seeing good stuff from Tyrese Halliburton. Um, all right, in the document, guys, we do a rundown for the show, and sometimes David just puts stuff in there. And usually I'll ask questions, but this one, I just left it. I'm like, I'm going to let him cook. So I'm going to read it for you guys. Putin strikes again. What that means for hundreds of Americans who play overseas hoops. I was like, what? But I, I'm waiting. Yeah. So I, so I just, as, as someone who deals with players that play overseas, um, we, we know the story of, I think it was Sue Bird, and I forget the other, Diana Rossi, Rossi mm-hmm. who, um, who basically, their, their ambassador, in a sense, the Russian team, was assassinated, I think in his car, if I remember right. Um, the, I, it, Europe and Russia is a little bit scared of a place than what it once was. And um, who knows what's going to happen over there. And so Russia used to be a place to make a whole bunch of money. I thought a number of players played there and they enjoyed it. They did. They enjoyed it. Uh, they got paid on time and uh, it was freezing fucking cold. But in some of the cities, yeah. 
uh, was like St. Petersburg. It's an incredible yeah. place to live. Really incredible. Mm-hmm. Moscow, yeah, some great cities in Russia. Yeah, mm-hmm. Moscow can be okay. Uh, there's even some smaller cities that are okay. But I just, I, I can't ignore the fact that the NBA guys are living a life of luxury mostly. But the guys in Europe, I mean, there could be wars to come. Like, who knows what happens? But especially in Russia, where there are EuroLeague teams and other yeah. high-level teams, mm-hmm. It's just a it's just a strange thing. So I only bring it up in light of the debate last night and, mm. and the news about this the Wagner guy yesterday. Uh, we're all connected. Like yeah, yeah, the pro it's the same thing for data scientists who may want to get a job in Europe or Russia. Mm-hmm. Uh, but normally they're not doing it at 21, 22, 23. Right. These are young men that have to think about this kind of stuff. Right. And I know because I've been, I've had those phone calls. I have Israeli friends, for example, high level players that can't play in Turkey. Because it's become such yep. an extreme mm-hmm. government. Under and so Erdogan. this is just yeah. a reminder. Yeah, right. This is just a reminder that uh, the geopolitical world is everyone's world. Yeah. I mean, we are, you know, uh, we're not unaffected by this stuff, right? Like, as David yeah. said, we are all interconnected. Like, what happens yeah. in Moscow, in uh, Guangzhou province, in New yeah. Zealand, like, that, that has effects on us here and, you know, people in you know, other parts of the world as well. It's just, that's the nature of, of this geopolitics and yeah. the, the increased um, volatile climate in which we currently live. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot out there. Um, David, I don't know if you saw this, but, and it, I only saw it on Twitter or should I say X, the site formerly known as Twitter. No, uh, I'm not calling it X. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Um, so there was a, a video of um, Stephen A. Smith making the rounds, talking about Lonzo Ball. And this was yesterday. And Stephen A. had said, um, Lonzo's unhealthy. And from what I hear from sources is he has trouble getting up and sitting down from a, from a seated position. Well, so you may have seen Lonzo put out a video the other day of him out by his pool on his bad, on his bad leg. Sitting down and getting up and like, Stephen A., what are you talking about? Like, what what are these sources, bro? Like, and I like you, but like that I'm having trouble getting up and sitting down. Like, I'm not. Look, I can do it. And then Stephen A. came out either yesterday, the, the next day and said, you know, I can get up and sit down too, Lonzo. That doesn't mean I'm healthy and can run up and down a basketball court. Just classic, just moving the goalposts. And I bring this all of this up because... We had Ben Aronson on uh, to start our conversation on uh, the future of the NBA. And we talked about media and the adversarial nature the media has uh, with the sports that it covers, particularly the NBA, because that's what we're talking about right now. And the fact that this back and forth now is now dominating the news cycle on in a way that matters because whether, and David and I are people, and mostly you people who listen to this, you generally don't consume these shows. However, Stephen A is immensely popular. He's ESPN's number one paid on-air talent. So on TV, he's talking about it. On his radio show, he's talking about it, right? And so, and millions of people listen to that. And so this is what they think and is in their head. So you, you ever do that thing, David, where you go out, and maybe you, you have lots of this because people know who you are. But you go somewhere, and you hear someone having a conversation about the NBA. And you know it is all regurgitated sports talk. Because I'm like, oh, I've heard it. Right? Yeah, it's sure. just like, yeah, but it's not. And you, because you're. You're like, this is not true, but whatever. I know you probably don't even engage because you're like, you people are, I'm not even going to start. You're not engaged. Because it's not even I almost this. never, I almost, I almost never engaged. There's been times where I've been at games <laughs> in, in media press row and I've heard some knuckleheads, normally younger people talking behind me. 
And uh, there's been a few times where it was a guy trying to impress the girl. Right, right, right. There's been a few times where it was like a boss trying to impress, impress his employee. And they're just saying some stupid shit. And I just turn around and, and you, you, you know me well now. I, I do have an authoritative sounding voice apparently. Right. And I'll just tell them like, you're out of your fucking mind when you say stupid, stupid shit like that. And I turn back around and then I hear, and very often they'll, then they'll engage with me. If they don't, I leave it alone. But typically they'll be like, can you explain, sir? Yeah, who are you? Why are you saying that? And they're always actually delightful. I mean, when I say always, I mean like 95% of the time we end up having a delightful conversation about what really is happening compared to this stupid ass shit you're saying right now. But yeah, mostly I just leave it alone. Certainly in airports, we're not going to say a word. Um, and so, you know, and in that case, it's great that, you know, David gets to sort of, you know, educate. But this is a problem that we have with this sport where narratives get spun about people. And so now you're going to have groups of people who are just like, ah, you know, Lonzo Ball, what a bust. Guy's just never healthy, blah, blah, blah. He doesn't, you know. It, it, and all the things that develop from that. And it's like, dude's got a chronic injury that's really not his fault, right? We're all born with like degenerative things that have that are, that are affecting us that are genetic that we have no control over. It just sucks, man. Like, you think this guy doesn't want to be out there playing basketball? He loves it. Yeah, just, obviously, it's yeah. just unfortunate. Like, sometimes you get shitty luck. And I, I brought, I just wanted to bring it up, David, because, you know, again, this is part of the problem we have with the sport. If people keep shitting sure. on it and doing things like that and attacking, it's it's never going to get to the point because again we're looking at casual fans that's where casual fans get their news from espn and sources like that so when that platform is blasting out nonsense this is why we have what we have all right so um i'm glad we brought it up i i i have a new to have read pretty much anything bob, Wood, bob woodward has written and uh, as you know washington post for yep. you know since the 70s and uh I remember watching a guy on TV one time named Jack Germond. He was on maybe Meet the Press with Tim Russer. I thought he was a really impressive guy. And he writes for the Baltimore Sun. And I'm like, all right. That's always been a competition for the Washington sure. Post. I bet he's pretty interesting. So I looked him up. I don't remember. This is before the internet. I think it was after the internet. Because uh, I think I bought the book on Amazon. It's called Fat Guy in the Middle Seat. <laughs> and his, he's a very, he was, he's died. He died. He was a very large man. And so... He typically got last guy on a plane, which means he's in the middle seat and he's a big fat guy. But in, in his book, he wrote that it used to be the case where journalists didn't report everything. They reported what they thought was newsworthy, not scandal worthy. And even to the point where he didn't, I don't remember him mentioning it, but there's lots of rumors about John F. Kennedy, for example, mm -hmm. and trysts with Marilyn, mm -hmm. Marilyn Monroe, whomever. And, but that journalist felt like that was out of bounds. We could argue mm -hmm. that point, by the way. Uh, I feel like we're at uh, crossroads and have been for some time with professional sports um, where it's about the attention rather than what's really moving the needle. And to I, I, I'm a fan of Stephen A. Smith as a writer when he was a writer. I thought he was a, I really thought he was one of the best. Excellent columnist and journalist for right. many years before he became a TV personality. Right. Beat writer, into columnist, whatever. I, 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 I'm not a fan of him. I don't want, listen or watch him at all now. Um, I no one. I don't know how he can even do it. He's got to have an opinion on everything. He's going to act like he cares about all of it. Jesus, I mean, <laughs> I go through the whole day. I might care about two things. <laughs> my, my wife walked into my office the other day. I've since changed some things around. And I've got all these cords to my laptop, my monitor, and Wi-Fi, and my mouse, and all these microphone, headphones. And it drives her crazy. I'm like, honey, I, I just type. And I watch the games on the screen. 
Like, I don't even notice those things. But if you, if, if I show, turn it around, you see this nice little setup <laughs> she has. It makes her happy, even though she's not even here. Right. Right. She's 25 minutes away, but she's happy right now knowing I have a very organized cords on organized cords on my desk. I, I don't know how Stephen A. Smith has time to, to care about all these things, but with that power that he has, pick up the damn phone and get Lonzo on the phone. Or don't talk about it. Like, you, sorry, you don't get to swing and miss. And then you're never going to admit you're wrong, right. typically. You're going to fight him. And that just is bad for our game. So if you really want to write or talk, I think you talked about the, the poor situation of Chicago with Lonzo, which is a very sad story. Right. I was a huge fan of his. Um, you you got to get him on the phone, dude. Mm-hmm. You got to get him on the phone and you got to really get the story or don't bother. Don't do ha- don't half-ass it and, t- and, t- and tell us what people have told you. Let me tell you something. I know a whole bunch of NBA players and I know five times as many of their friends and family. And I would never report anything behind the scenes or not from a family member or a, or the trainer or the friend or even an agent if I knew the player because they're going to have a different perspective on things. And if, if there's some agents I would really trust more than others. A lot of agents will try to manipulate people, as will executives. But who knows who Stephen A. talked to? <laughs> and let me tell you something. It probably wasn't someone that close to Lonzo they knowing he's going to make a big deal and trash Lonzo. And he wasn't trashing him mm-hmm. other than just trashing his situation. Right. It was probably someone a little bit lesser involved with what was going on. So, yeah, the whole thing is just bad for our business. It's just bad for our business. It is. And, and we've evolved to this place where that's the grift, right? That's the game. And that is, that is, how, yeah. that is how those things make money now. Because now that is a three-day running right. story. Because Alonzo has the response. Stephen A has to come back with his response. Now, th- right. This is the game. Right. This right, is right. the game. Right. And look again, for those of you out there who may go, oh my God, what? just know that, know that that is the game and you don't have to participate in it. If we don't want to see that, guess what? You, 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 it's like how you vote with your, your vote speaks. You don't watch. Guess what? They have to change the format. Right? Mm-hmm. If no one's tuning into yeah. that stuff, you're like, well, this isn't working, right? The grift is not working. So anyway, just just wanted to, to put that out there um, for everybody. David, you uh, you sent a, a, um, a tweet that was put out about um, Eric Spolstra, who is doing the scouting um, for Team yeah. USA, which is when was the last time Spo did a scout? Well, and and, and, probably... and I mean in that way, not in the way now, like when you are like you know right. assistant number two right. or whatever. Yeah, it's it's. It's probably been a long time, obviously. As a head coach, you have assistance to all of it. But in the playoffs, I'm sure he's overseeing, Correct. you know, because you have one team to focus on. But this is the life of a coach. <laughs> this is what he's doing now for Team USA. And Tyrone, Tyrone Liu was really praising Spo and Kerr, as an assistant coach should. Um, by the way, Mark Few is also on the bench. He's pretty good. He's one of the best college Very coaches out good there. Staff. Um, you better have energy in this business. Uh, you better be curious you know, to, to, to the Ted Lasso thing. That's a big deal for coaches. Why is this working? Why, why are they so good at this? Why are they so, how do I attack this? Um, the curiosity is an important thing. Uh, I know this. Spo, Spo does those things really well. I think Steve Kerr does as well. Um, they're masters at it, and it's the biggest why that they've been so successful for so long. Yeah. 
You got to sweat the small stuff when you're a coach that no way. No doubt. And it's great. So there's video out there, Spo leading the guys in their conditioning drills and all the different things they're doing out on the court. It's great. Like it, it's that energy. And there's a way that coaches talk about it too. You know, we always talk about Team USA and what a boon it is for the players and how we can catapult them. Yeah. It's also could be great for coaches. And if you have a nice little assembled staff together, like this little quartet is, this might be nice stuff. You, I mean, listen. Mark, if you're one of the great college coaches, you don't think he's stealing, picking the brains of, of, of these guys every night when they're having dinner or it's like, you know, that three, two zone, man. And it's like, oh yeah, you know, one of the things I, and, and you're just talking, I mean, as someone who's gone, and they're picking his brain correct. too, because he sees more zone than correct, that. Correct. Yeah. I remember, I remember being in Vegas one time and uh, I want to say I was at um, the win where they have like a Sinatra room. I forget the name of it now. It's been a while. Um, and uh, the, the Team USA staff was in, in the restaurant. It was Koshyshevsky and PJ Carlesimo. I don't remember the other. It was like four or five. This was yeah, like a, a decade ago. Um, the Team USA was in Vegas for their training. And uh, I remember really feeling some jealousy of, boy, it'd be great to be able to say, at, at that age, your kids are grown. You know, I'm going to go spend a month or, or so traveling the world in nothing but the nicest hotels, eating nothing but the nicest meals. However, there is a tax, which is the pressure of winning. Mm-hmm. I, and so ultimately, I don't think I would enjoy that part. Um, I, but because you have to produce, you, you know, you got to win. And so, um, and you also feel, I think, in Spoh's case, for example, and Steve Kerr, an obligation too that, you know, they're doing all this with me. I need to produce. Mm-hmm. I think Pop felt great relief winning the Olympics. Um, I'm sure he did. And uh, and so now here, here comes the World Cup and we're young and we have some expectations still, but I think they're doing their job because they feel that responsibility. No doubt. Um, and we're going to talk about FIBA World Cup in just one second after this quick commercial break. This episode of True Hoop is brought to you by BetterHelp. Hey guys, Gerard from True Hoop here. If you had an extra hour in your day, what would you do? It's a hell of a question. Would you maybe go for a run, take a nap, read a book? Maybe show up for a friend. Now, depending on the day, any one of those would be a great idea. Most of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. But the question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. Now, I've been open in the past with you guys about this. I see a personal therapist as well as a couple therapists for my partner and I. And both are extremely helpful in developing positive coping skills and learning how to set boundaries. Therapy empowers you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com TrueHoop today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash TrueHoop. All right, Dave, we've been talking about World Cup and and uh, the coaching staff and Anthony Edwards and Tyrese Halliburton. <laughs> you have an issue, though, with the FIBA system and how players, especially international basketball, and how players can be, can be allowed to represent uh, certain countries. Would you like to enlighten us on what you don't like about how players get to sort of choose which country they want to play for? 
Well, it came, I guess, from uh, Argentina's mm-hmm. Andres Nocioni uh, having a, a problem with uh, Eric right, Gordon on playing the for the Bahamas, and the Bahamas won. I have no opinion about right. that. I have no idea Eric Gordon's situation right. at all. Listen, on this subject of the international play, <laughs> I need to apologize. Oh, I, I always thought Giannis was born in Nigeria and emigrated mm-hmm. to Greece and then basically was treated terribly right. there. As it turns out, he was born in Greece and then treated terribly for a long time. But we have plenty of those stories in America, and they still can play for Team USA as Americans. He's, he is Greek. From now on, he's Greek. We all have different heritage. None of us were born here, basically, that play in the NBA. Or a, a Greek national of part. Nigerian descent. That's that, that is who yeah, he is. Right, right, right. So, um, so that being said, I, I don't like the way FIBA can kind of change. The individual countries can change their rules so they can field a better mm-hmm. team. I don't like it. Not so much because these teams win championships. That's a separate issue. I don't think it's fair for the players who live there. Mm. Uh, it happens all the time. Israel will take American Jews. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not so much for FIBA as it is for their league, their domestic league, but it's one and the same. Let's invest solely on our own players when it comes time to league decisions with our national domestic teams as well as our FIBA teams. I. Uh, uh, Maybe there's an Eric Gordon waiting in the wings of the Bahamas that didn't get a chance because Eric Gordon was there instead. Uh, I, I think, and so again, I, I don't know about his situation, but I think generally speaking, FIBA, we shouldn't see Americans anywhere, mm-hmm. right? Uh, because, you know, Nick Calavis has always played for right, Greece. Right. And I trade for Nick, right. who I know. Great, because he, he would probably never is, play for is, Team is, USA. Uh, are Nick's parents from Greece or are they from America? Grandpa- grandparents. Okay, okay. okay. Yeah. So maybe parents. one way you solve it is so I think this is how it works. I could be wrong. So like just for civilians, like people like us, like because my parents were born in Trinidad and Tobago in the West Indies, I can apply for uh, a passport from the country of Trinidad and Tobago because my parents were our citizens and were born there. So maybe it stops there. If your parents were born in some other country, then yes, you can play for that country if you prefer their country versus the country where you were born. I, I, whatever, whatever the rule is, that's fine. But I, I don't care if they said only p- people either who were born here or who have lived mm-hmm. here for X number of years. So the guy that's played professionally mm-hmm. there for 10 years, I, I don't have the biggest problem because they, they've invested in that right. community. They, they've helped the basketball community by playing there for so long in one country. Uh, whatever the rules – I just think they should hold fast yeah. the rules, but it's, it's really my big thing is the best developed right. the talent yeah. you have. Let's let's if every country was better at it, then we'd all be better off for it. It'd be better basketball globally. And kudos to uh, the Bahamian national team who did win that uh, pre Olympic qualifying yeah. tournament. Uh, DeAndre Ayton talked about how exciting it was, and you know, yeah. Again, listen, you know, David and I are not nationalists, so you know, whatever. But um, there is. And I understand there is for people the, the the feeling of playing for when you put that jersey on with your with your country's name and the colors across your chest that brings out and elicits a different kind of emotion from a player. And if things go well and it buoys you into whatever more, I am all for that. So if that makes DeAndre Ayton like realize some things, comes to Phoenix and has a great year, or if he can straighten and play so well wherever else, great. Right? Anything that just makes the sport overall better. I'm totally down for. So kudos. Um, David, there was, <laughs> speaking of nationalism, uh, 
So uh, the Women's World Cup ended, and shout out to Spain for winning uh, their first uh, Women's World Cup. Um, you know, the, the Women's World Cup has been interesting because the the nations around the world have gotten so good. They've actually invested in women's sports. I mean, really, it's just about investment, right? When they decided, oh, if we put some money into this, it might work. Well, look how quickly, right? Spain now would now wins a World Cup. Awesome for them. There's a little bit of controversy going on with them right now in the Spanish Football Federation. You can read that on your own time. Nothing, nothing mm-hmm. for us to discuss here. Um, but Megan Rapino um, and the women's uh, national team here in the United States face backlash for uh, losing uh, in, in the knockout round, the earliest they've, they've gone home. And she recently sat down and, and talked about, you know, the backlash she received not only from former teammate Carly Lloyd and Alexi Lawless on the Fox broadcast, but also former president Donald Trump and, you know, all, all the, all the stuff that's been, that's been going on there. And she actually was asked like, you know, despite all that, what would you miss about the world cup? And this is a Rapino. Oh man, the buzz around it, walking into these stadiums, the feeling that on any given day, anything can happen. There's just something that brings out the best in players and in teams. And if you catch that little piece of fire, it's just special. And I'll miss being able to represent our country. I think a lot of times that gets lost when people talk about me in particular. Oh, you guys don't sing the anthem, blah, blah, blah. You don't love America, but we do love America. It's just more in a James Baldwin kind of way, not in a bald eagle on your shoulder kind of way. And what a great answer. And I'm going to read to you the James Baldwin quote that she's referencing. If you know me, you know, it's one of my favorite quotes. And, you know, James Baldwin, you should know this quote as well. Now there's James Baldwin here. I love America more than any country in the world. And exactly for this reason, I insist on the right to criticize her perpetually. And, you know, I thought Rapino's answer about loving the country in a James Baldwin way and less on a bald eagle on your shoulders kind of way, right? It's this idea of blind loyalty and nationalism, right? Which we are against versus this country holds itself up to these incredible ideals that it frankly has never lived up to. So if that's who they want to present themselves as, as citizens, we have that right to hold them to that. This is what you say you are, right? So here's what, here's all the areas you are not that. And I thought that was a really, really great answer by Rapino. And again, how could you say someone like her is not, <laughs> does not love representing her country? Like clearly she does. She wants this country to be the best version of itself. And we are far, far from that. So a couple of quick thoughts. Um, I don't know there's any speaker that I enjoy watching on YouTube more than James so Baldwin. It's it really, and, and I'm, I'm almost, I'm not embarrassed, but I'm almost embarrassed at how dumb I am. <laughs> he, 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 he has, he has among, among many of his gifts, one of them was the ability to express pretty deep thoughts very basically. Tom Friedman, I think as a writer, does a very good job of that. The Middle East is an incredibly confounding place. If read Tom Friedman, you have a pretty clear picture. It's what I try to do writing about basketball. It's a pretty uh, a complex sport, actually, and I try to make it simpler. Baldwin does really carries he just so many different thoughts into my brain, delivers them so perfectly. Um, and last on the subject you're talking about with our country, uh, I read a I read a phenomenal tweet this morning that that was quoting I don't know one of the dumbasses who were talking last night. And I mean that dumb fucking <laughs> fucking terrible people talked about how you know Trump is the best president in history and blah blah blah. And uh, this it might have been even Pence talking about what they did. And 
And I don't remember who it was. And, and this, this person who wrote on Twitter wrote, um, the presidency that ended with a violent mass of people trying to overthrow the election and murder the vice president. That was the great thing we're talking about here. Like this is, though, you know, Megan, I, I, I much rather be on Megan's side, who, by the way, 99% of the people who voted for that reprehensible man who was once in office would not know who James Correct. Baldwin was. And if DeSantis has his way, they'll never learn about who he was because it won't be studied in, in school books in, in, in Florida anyway. Um, but I, I don't I don't believe in the Pledge of Allegiance. I really am upset as an adult. Why do we even have it? Why do we have to pledge allegiance? I don't understand. The national anthem before sporting um, events. <laughs> we sh- I tell you, we should pledge. We should pledge respect your teachers unless they deserve to be disrespected. We, that should be in the pledge too. <laughs> I, I used to always tell our kids, don't you dare respect adults that don't earn it. Be skeptical. Be suspicious of every fucking person you come across. Keep it to yourself. Have a watchful eye. Be wary. Be cautious. Because adults have been hurting kids forever. Don't you think you're safe around an adult just because he's an adult? So anyway, that's how it is in the House of Thorne. Anyway, um, but yeah, we're supposed to, in order to make it better, you better challenge. You better challenge. And um, I wrote a little missive about my son the other day. Uh, On the court, he's the most respectful kid. I could never have a better student than my own son. Listens with his eyes. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Focused. Off the court, eh, he's pretty sure I'm an innie. He, he, he has said to me, he thinks I'm one of the smartest persons he's ever met. The other person he mentioned was younger than me. And I thought, well, there's a lot of people smarter than that person, including his own father, the guy's own father. But um, he challenges everything all the time. I'm glad. We did not raise our kids to just be yes, sir, yes, sir, on everything in their 20s. We're supposed to challenge government. We're supposed to challenge leaders. And uh, that's how we make better sausage. Yeah. Which is, by the way, delicious food. <laughs> I don't eat it very much, but when I do, I'm like, oh boy, this is good. What a great note to end that out. <laughs> Sausage, great food. Um, so I mentioned at the top of the show that um, the U.S. opens next week. Uh, tennis uh, here in New York City. I will be there again yeah. for the two weeks covering that event. Uh, after basketball, I think it's probably my favorite sport. It's just, it's so fun. And this event is great. Two weeks. And there's such, there's, there's a way in which tennis, David, it lets you into the emotion of the athlete in such a visceral way because, man, you lose 17 straight points. There ain't no, there's no one yeah. to go talk to. There's no, all right, let me go get a coach and time. Let, let, take me out, put somebody else in. No, you got a problem solve on your own, my friend. Figure it out. And yeah. in front of everybody. And it's hard to do. Um, Jimmy Butler of NBA fame, Miami Heat, is a huge tennis fan. Um, He's often seen down in uh, down in Miami at the uh, the the combined WTA and ATP 1000 event down there. It's in the 1000 events. Those you don't don't know, those are basically right behind the majors as the biggest events uh, on the sport. And Jimmy's always there when he can be. Um, he's a big fan of Coco Golf's. He was at Coco's practice yesterday here in the city. He hit with Carlos Alcaraz last night, and and Francis Tiafo. He came out as a ball boy. First of all, I don't know if you guys know. You watch tennis before the. That's Before hysterical. the match starts, all the ball kids run out in their polo uniforms, like all identical. All of a sudden, you see this huge six foot seven dude run out with a hat. You're like, "Who the hell?" Oh, Jimmy Butler. <laughs> my se- my second favorite ball boy in the U.S. Open of all time. You know, who my first Max favorite Thor- is uh, Kramer. <laughs> Kramer did whatever side of Seinfeld. Max Thorpe oh, was never going to be a ball boy. He's never been a tennis in his life. Yeah, Kramer was great. 
He was also very tall <laughs> with that hair, 6'5 with the afro. Oh, my God, too funny. <laughs> so Jimmy runs out, and then Tiafo and Alcaraz are having a little fun, and then Jimmy, like, grabs the racket. He's like, all right, no, no, I'm going to – no, but you can't hit it like that. you got to hit it right over here, like telling him, telling Carlos Alcaraz, who might be the best player in the world, oh, it? where to funny. actually hit the ball. Yeah. Just a, a, a really great um, yeah. back and forth. And I love David seeing athletes in other sports – come over Me and too. watch athletes in different sport and like really show their love of the game and appreciation for what it is that athlete is experiencing. You know, being a pro athlete, that's a, that's a special club, man. Like yeah. what these yeah. men and women endure and go through the reason why they all connect is because they, you know, I get it. Like they know, like, and David, because a coach and like, but from that actual in the fire, only they know. Right. Uh, earlier this summer at yeah. the DC open, because uh, Francis Tiap was in the DC area. Uh, number 10 ranked player in the world uh, from the United States. Kevin Durant was there, uh, as was Bradley Beal. And, you know, they were talking about Francis after. Awesome. And it's just, it's a wonderful, wonderful experience. There will definitely be some NBA players who are not playing in FIBA who will be at the at the U.S. Open this this. Uh, will you will you go? Oh, yeah. yeah. That's, what, that's what I mean. So, so I'm there. Oh, yeah. I'm I'm legit media. In the media oh, yeah. Room. And we get, we get great seats, especially in, like, Armstrong and, and the outer courts. Depending on Ash is a little bit tougher because if it's like a night match and it's a big one, you got to get ticketed. Yeah. But like we get, we get them. They're just, you know, we can move around. Do you know? Do you know what Arthur Ashe's connection to UCLA is? Did he play tennis at UCLA? I realized that. Did he play you tennis at UCLA? All I know is there's a building yeah. named after him. I was at UCLA. I, I think couple he weeks played ago. tennis at UCLA. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, that's what I thought. That's what I figured. Uh, so you, I need you to text. I won't watch U.S. Open, especially now mm-hmm. with the World Cup coming, unless okay. you text me. Hey, I'm yeah. watching this All game. Right. Right, this match. Okay, and I'll, I'll, I'll watch. I mean, I, I I grew up on it. You know, I was an adult when Macro, not Macro, Connors was playing later in his career when he had the. Remember that amazing couple of nights where I want to say it was even on USA Network where the games were going to the he, one. That was the his run to the I conference semifinal. Yeah. The conference to so the US Open. What year was that? Do you remember? That was ninety two. I want to say. Yeah, I was twenty seven. I remember being in my twenties. I lived in an apartment back then. And I remember just thinking, oh, boy, this is special. No, no, yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, so if you text me, you're at a game. Oh, I'm yeah, there, and there's going to be some good stuff. And, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll be bouncing around to the to the various courts and, and watching it all. But, you know, for those of you that enjoy tennis, um, take a look at that. All right, David, FIBA World Cup starts Friday. Team USA plays New Zealand. Uh, so we'll be we'll be tuned into Saturday. that. Is it Friday or Saturday? The tournament starts Friday. Okay, Team so USA plays Saturday. Saturday. Okay, so against New yeah. Zealand. 8 a.m., 8.30 That'll be a good one, Um, and we'll talk about where everything is at uh, next week on Monday. Have a great weekend, everybody.